Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You know, people, you can go back to any era of history and find a group of people who say like, you know, that, that, that have bad ideas and that feel completely justified by those ideas. And we could, I don't want to get into it because we can all in our own head. I mean, I don't like the people who are always like, go to Hitler right away. So I'm not going to go to like, I'm not going to be like, well, but think about just like in American history, the amount of bad things that happen to people based on misinformation, misperception, um, um, groups that were treated wrongly. And so all I'm saying is like, nobody has a monopoly on the truth, but like there is a moral right. And there's also data. How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Patrick McGinnis. Some of you might recognize that name as a repeat guest. That's right. He was on the podcast a few years ago to discuss how he came up with the word FOMO. The FOMO. Fear of missing out. Many of you use that currently in your vocabulary, but he was the one that came up with the word. And it was a fascinating deep dive into how a term can be popularized. Today, Patrick is talking about FOMO again, but from a different perspective. He discusses how individuals, entrepreneurs, and businesses can prepare for the new world of FOMO, whether it's at work, working remotely, when you get back to the office, in your careers, launching a new venture, or in your social lives. In essence, Patrick himself is questioning what society is supposed to look like going forward. And I always like these type of conversations because, well, they are conversations, but they provide insight into a new way of thinking or how to reframe old ways of thinking. I'm sure you're going to have a lot of thoughts and don't be shy. Let me know on social media at Ty Roxon. Till then, enjoy the episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today... I hope you're having some FOMO because I have Patrick McGinnis. Now, Patrick McGinnis, if you remember, uh, is an individual, a man, a gentleman that I interviewed a while back. And he was talking about how he came up with the term FOMO, fear of missing out. It's been a while and I'm glad to have him back. We're going to be talking about how FOMO evolved during the pandemic and how you can make decisions right now, especially given the interesting world that we have today. So I'm very, very excited to welcome you back, Patrick. Welcome. Going to be here, you know, for everybody listening, if you go back and listen to that first interview, like from 2016, it was the first interview I ever gave. And I went back and listened to it. I don't know when, but I did. And I have to say, you were really good. I was not good. (laughs) Like, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I think I had a really bad headset. I think I just... I was, I thankfully, I think I would like to think I've improved. You know, you're, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. You're very kind. You're, you're kind to me and you're being hard on yourself because I, I didn't think it was bad, but 
I think the same thing when I go back to listen to my previous episodes and people say things that are different, but I will never forget that episode because I remember when it was pitched to me and I was like, FOMO, everybody's talking about FOMO. <laughs> and hearing how you came up with that, it, it was fascinating because um, a lot of people in the audience are in that ideation phase. And yeah. here, you know, just seeing how you capitalize on that was it was uh, it was something that I really hope a lot of people replicated. But since we've talked, the world has changed, my friend. Has it? What yeah. do you mean? I don't know. Is that something about pandemic and COVID and the virus? <laughs> <laughs> but it's really changed. I mean, we had something shut down the whole world. Our generation, uh, this is something that I, I don't know. They're saying since the Spanish flu, but even this might have even been uh, more so than the Spanish flu. So I'm curious, as you are someone who is a thought leader in this space and you observe and you get to work with companies and individuals, what did you see with the concept of FOMO as we were in lockdown and as many countries are now starting to come out of it and we're dealing with vaccine passports and all yeah. these vaccinated versus unvaccinated? What have you noticed? Oh, my goodness. Well, we'll have an hour and a half worth of material here, but I'll start. Let's see. Well, I think the whole question of vaccine passports mm -hmm. we should talk about. OK, and I don't want to go there yet, but that is super interesting. And I just wrote a piece for NBC News about it. So yeah. it's been I've been thinking about it like this week. But um, the, what so FOMO, you know, when I wrote the first article where I coined the term FOMO back in 2004, it was in the humor section of the student newspaper of Harvard Business School. So it was a total, it was like a funny thing, like, ha, 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 um, you know, a high class problem, right? And then because of Mark Zuckerberg, who was a mile away from me at the time, building the first version of Facebook, because of Mark, FOMO became this like global thing. It wasn't just a high class problem. It was something that preyed upon all of us because our devices are designed Social media is designed to provoke FOMO because we can so easily compare ourselves to others, no matter where we are in the world. You can be in West Africa and you can compare yourself to somebody in China and vice versa, right? So there's always something better out there and it's all curated. Now with the, with the pandemic, we, everybody thought FOMO was gone. I remember like reading on Twitter, it said some people had written, you know, like the best thing about the pandemic is that there's no more FOMO. And this is like during the quarantine. And I thought to myself, well, that's very unfortunate for a guy who has a book coming out on FOMO in about <laughs> two months. But, you know, it's not about me. I'm a man of the people. If it's meant to be, that there's no FOMO. Like, I'm, you know, it's good for humanity. Um, and I remember people saying like, oh, Shakespeare wrote some of his best works during a pandemic. And so mm -hmm. I thought, well, I'm going to get so much done. I'm going to get, you know, in crazy shape. I'm going to, you know, market the heck out of my book. I'm going to do all these amazing things. And of course, like I'm going to read, I'm going to read, I had a stack of books. I made a stack in my apartment. I read three of those books. I did not necessarily get in crazy shape, probably got in worse shape. Because, you know, what was I going to do? Mm. And um, I think that's what happened to many of us is that we didn't achieve what we wanted because we ended up being on our devices all the time. At the same time, we realized FOMO wasn't just about parties. It was about like your life, your entire life. You're missing out on the life you should be leading. So it became a lot deeper than it was before. That's wow. I, I didn't even think of it that way. Fear of missing out. I remember where I was during the pandemic. And for me, it's... 
it was those waves, right? It was like, oh, there's a there's a virus, but it's not that serious. It hasn't come to the United States here. And I live in New York. Well, it, it took it. Well, it hit a few people in New York. Uh, uh, well, fans are going to wear masks. Then Tom Hanks gets in the NBA shuts down. Oh, yeah, that's right. Tom Hanks. Yeah. And then I was like, wait, but they're shutting down an NBA game. And then for people like like you and I, it really started to hit when events started to quote unquote, they started to, first of all, postpone. And like you, I was planning a bunch of things and then it became cancellation and then it became fear. Wait, am I not going to have any income? Wait, what's going to happen? How long is this going to go? And I just remember just sitting down in my bed, freaking out. Yes. Uh, and then I, I, you know, I eventually figured out to normalize, but it was a whole traumatic event. And I was, I was happy that I was going to therapy during that moment because I just was reevaluating a lot of things. And now that you framed it as fear of missing out, it is, I was like I'm missing out on income. I'm missing out on opportunities. I'm missing out on family. I'm missing out on friends and all these things. And I'm not even necessarily an extrovert. I'm more of an ambivert. And a lot of people are more surprised because I spend a lot of time uh, inter- inside, you know, trying to cultivate my energy despite my uh, extroverted personality. But that concept then is going to lead to the next question. What did you find most helpful to come out of that or to yeah. learn from the FOMO that we were the pandemic infused. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm in New York too. And I was in New York the whole time. Um, were you here as well? You were here I like was. May, March, April, like when it's just sirens and like, yes, there was nobody. And it was, yeah, it was, that was, that was some dark, it was dark, dark stuff. You, you know, when the sirens kept ringing, I kept, and this is my morbid thought. I kept thinking, oh my gosh, please don't let it be another death. Don't let it be another death. Because uh, the numbers kept rising every day. Uh, people forget, you know, Broadway and Times Square was shut down. So- oh, yeah. No, and the human desperation in all forms, because there were also just like anybody, the thing about this pandemic that's whack is that anybody who was a little vulnerable already just got pushed off the edge. So you saw people like, just people on the streets, like if you walk through the garment district, which is, you know, in the thirties on the West side, yeah. people who are clearly, you know, not well mentally or on drugs, like screaming and yelling. It was like, it's, it's not so much like that anymore. It's really reverted, but the amount of just desperation in New York city that was exposed, it was crazy. And so, yeah. you know, I, like you, I remember everything got canceled everything, everything, everything I was doing. And I was like, whoa, like every source of income, you know, cause I have a plan every year, like was coming in, every source of income disappeared in like four days. It was so shocking. And the thing that got me through, there's really kind of, I would say two things that were really fundamental to, to making it through. The first was um, I meditated every day. Yeah. So that really helped because it just, I don't know, it just was like very grounding for me and it's just good for everything. It just puts you in a better headspace to deal with reality. Mm-hmm. Um, number two is that, you know, my first book was called a 10% entrepreneur and it's about how to be an entrepreneur without quitting your day job, diversifying, doing lots of different projects. And I remember in March when everything got canceled, I was like, Oh my God. Um, this is like 2008 all over again, which was the inspiration for my first book and everything. Cause I, my, I lost my job my company blew up and it was a disaster, but my diversification worked. Um, all the different projects I had, some of them did really well during the pandemic. Anything e-commerce did really yeah. well. So I just remember thinking to myself, wow, I'm so diversified. 
that even though this pandemic is awful, I, I'm actually doing great financially, which was really a relief to me because that was a big concern. And so I think that was really important. The other thing I would say is like um, finding ways to occupy time. So I never cooked before. I became like a chef during pandemic. I would every night choose a part of the world and then find the cuisine and like cook it. And so I made some like very elaborate four hour dinners and things. So like all that helped because otherwise, like I'm a very extroverted person. I'm not an ambivert. I'm a super extrovert. Uh, so and, it was really, you, yeah, you were, yeah. And like Zoom good. is not going to cut it for me, but <laughs> being able to put my energy into some kind of project every day that yeah. I could look forward to like, well, tonight I'm going to be busy for four and a half hours making like subic sandwiches that helped too. Yeah. Huh. I'm not, I'm glad to hear you say that because I, I can I can imagine a lot of the audience listening now and saying, well, glad, you know, Patrick was able to have diversified income. I'm still struggling. And I can also imagine people saying, well, it's true. I did find some aspects of myself, uh, you know, throughout the pandemic. And in their next thought is, how can I capitalize on that or systemize it? Right. So for those listening right now who maybe weren't able to diversify themselves or, you know, were living a paycheck to paycheck and then it got cut. And those that found a moment that they hope wasn't a trend and hope yeah. to continue post pandemic, what would you say to them to do right now so that they don't re-experience this? Yeah. I mean, I'm super sympathetic to that situation because I lived it. I had my practice run for this before hmm. uh, in 2008 I was working at a division of AIG. AIG blew up. My stock fell 97%. So literally for every buck, I had three cents. Uh, It was bad. And that was when I realized that you can't bet on any one thing. Hmm. And I think that like my faith in sort of corporate America, but also just the idea of like, one job is going to provide for you. Yeah. It was gone. I was done. I was like, this is just bad. And so as a result, I started diversifying myself by investing in things and starting things and being an advisor to things for, for equity and doing a bunch of different projects. And so, you know, the great thing about diversification, if you ever studied like finance 101, the whole point of diversification is that you have all these things that are not correlated. So like one thing goes badly, but another thing will go okay. And, and what's crazy about the pandemic too, from a macroeconomic perspective or even a microeconomic perspective is like, you know, some things did horribly, other things did really well, right? And so, you know, I think that what I would encourage people to do is to, to, to start now. And, you know, obviously I think my book, The 10% Entrepreneur is a great place to do that. But just think about, you know, how, how can I diversify my portfolio of investments? How can I diversify my streams of income? Are there side projects I can do? What have I learned? Who else is doing this? How can I partner with them? And don't rely on one job because as we've seen, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and for those listening, I'm going to put the, the links to, to, you know, to his books and, and website. So uh, the book 10% Entrepreneur is definitely going to be there. And so if you're looking or a resource to use to give you a structure to understand how to start that diversification process, it's a good place to start. Um, and, you know, as he said, he talks about it from the perspective of, you know, coming out of the 2008 uh, financial crisis, also losing um, stock in, in something that he had high hopes for. So that'll be one place to start. The other thing that I hope uh, you all are thinking about is decision-making. I know that some people really had problems coming 
to terms with what decisions to make. And you, you, you've, you come up with something uh, on decisions, which is interesting because I'm very curious about this, but how can people find a decisive way to make the right choices for themselves today in COVID world or post COVID world, hopefully? Yeah, so decision-making has become you know, a big focus of mine. If you think about FOMO, FOMO is really a decision-making problem. It's about deciding, you know, you have, you, you got to live your life. You got to make tons of decisions every day. And if you're feeling this fear of missing out, you may make decisions based on the fear rather than, you know, the real logic of a decision. So it's yeah. like, you know, we see that all the time. I, if you look at just like job searches, right? People will apply for tons of jobs yeah, because they're like, well, I, you know, and they're applying for things that they don't even want, but they're like, well, I just, I should do that. And so you're diluting your energy a ton. And at the same time, when I invented the word FOMO, there was another word I invented at the same time in the same article back in 2004 that has not gotten as famous, although it's still, you know, used, it's been written about in, in, in a bunch of places like the New York times, it's called FOBO or fear of a better option. The idea that uh, when we have a perfectly good thing in front of us, like say a job offer, we're afraid to take it because, oh my goodness, what if something better comes along? Should I hold out? Maybe I should, now that I got this job, maybe I should start applying to other jobs and trying to get more things so that I can you know, have more choices. And that's a real problem because we live in a world now where we're all overwhelmed with choice. Think about just going online and try to buy a ticket for an airplane or choose a hotel or buy something on Amazon. Like we're, we have so many choices in our lives, in our, in just daily life, also in what we can do, you know, we can, we can move anywhere in the world. We can start any kind of business we want. We can, you know, we can do many, many things. And so what I try to teach people in, in the work that I did in my new book, Fear of Missing Out, uh, practical decision-making in a world of overwhelming choice is how to get rid of all that noise, tune into what's truly important to you, choose the thing you actually want, and then be comfortable missing out on the rest. So yeah, choose it. I mean, it's one thing to choose what you want, but it's another thing to then just move on and not be like stuck in a cycle of regret. And I think that's really, really hard and people struggle with it. Yeah. Yeah. Be comfortable with missing out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As you were listing those examples, I was also, I also wanted to factor in dating, right? So when the swipe, swipe generation and, you know, so millennials, Gen Z, younger, a lot of the idea of options being available to you or it being reframed as, well, you're making this too soon. Don't think about, you know, what about this other person? Or even thinking about the idea of, hey, don't settle. You know, it can be, which can be fair advice. I'm not going to dismiss that. Yeah. But sometimes we get into this over analysis of the idea that maybe we are settling because there is a better option. And then it becomes two, three years. And you have narratives about yourself, which are not necessarily healthy. And that factors into deals and decision-making. And I have a lot of friends who, who had thought about entrepreneurship before the pandemic. And once the pandemic hit, were really hit, you know, kicking themselves as like, I made a mistake. And I was, I, I was, you know, trying to say like, you know, this, this is an opportunity, opportunity. But I, I think sometimes it rang hollow because, uh, uh, you know, they really couldn't defeat that, uh, you know, uh, self, uh, you know, self process where they really disappointed themselves. And 
in this book that you you wrote, are you saying that you have a framework for people to really work through those moments where they fear they lost an opportunity that they can't regain? Is that is that in the book? Yeah, I mean, I think the the core to decision making. And by the way, what you said about dating is so true, <laughs> so 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 true. And I talk about it a bunch. I'm not a dating expert, so like, but. I apparently dating podcasts like to have me on because I talk about the phobo. It's all about phobo. Like that's why culture. It's like, Oh, there might be a better person. Let me swipe. So it's like, and, um, and also it's all about FOMO because, you know, you see a profile and it's like the most perfectly curated. Nobody's going to be like, let me find an ugly photo for my dating profile. Right. Of course not. Everybody looks amazing. You have to look like seven pictures deep to realize like, Oh, that's what the person really looks like. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's just messed up. And, these companies know that they've created addictive apps. They're playing on your human sort of frailties to get you to swipe and swipe. So that's a very true observation. Now, in terms of the decision-making, you know, decision-making is about choosing what you actually want. So having criteria and then doing the research to figure out if something meets your criteria, that's part A, then you choose. But the problem is, Many people do that work, but then they're not willing to let go of everything else. And that's where the pathology happens. It's like when you can't let go, choose one thing and let go of the other options, that's where you get stuck. And so, so much of the, of the work that needs to happen is being like, I've assessed all these things. By the way, maybe there's five good options, but I'm going to choose one. And then I'm going to be comfortable letting go and I'm not going to feel regret. Because if you think about it, when you make a decision... Yes, you are letting go of some things and you're passing them up. What we're really doing is moving forward to the next set of decisions and options. And so mm-hmm. you're, you know, you aren't you aren't losing out, you're actually gaining. You're creating more options. And you're also, you know, you, you can't know what was going to happen if you had chosen the other way. So it's not worth it's not worth like sort of investing in time and energy and that could have been would have been should have been and, yeah. and, and and living in regret. It's just a very unhelpful mindset. <clears throat> yeah. And and the other thing is that it takes you away from the present moment, which you ironically are missing out on. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then, you know, if you get into this cycle of telling yourself the narrative that you repeatedly miss out on opportunities, and then you're like, I'm, I'm just horrible. I don't know what's wrong with me. I go look at my, and then there's the comparison that comes, right? Oh, but look at this guy, that person invested. And I said, no. And now that person is a millionaire. I know I saw this with Bitcoin and the yes. whole Bitcoin. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Don't start with me on Bitcoin. You see, but, but this, but the reason I, I love this conversation, I always love having you on because it's not only is it always conversational, it does apply to everything. We've talked about dating decisions, companies and all that, but Bitcoin's another thing, right? Or whether it's Deutsche or net, then I invested and then it went down and now it's uh, GameStop, oh, why- AMC, yeah. all the meme stocks, like people are investing in these things. For, you know, like think about the, okay, so definition of FOMO is a anxiety that something better is happening than what you're doing right now. It's also a fear of being excluded from a collective experience. So on the, you take a look at like Bitcoin or GameStop, like there's a part that's like desire to be part of something that looks really great because you think you're gonna make money. So there's an aspirational element, but the other part is like a fear of being excluded. It's like, if you're on a Reddit forum and everybody's like people, it's like a sports team, like buying Bitcoin is like, or Dogecoin is like being part of a club. Yeah. And I think that like, let's just stop and think about that. Like your investment portfolio isn't supposed to be part of like being cool or being part of a club or because Elon Musk is tweeting about it. That's a crazy way to invest your money. It's totally 
nonsensical. Mm. Yeah, well, to, uh, and, and, and to that point, do you remember when, I'm sure you know, when Elon Musk was hosting SNL? Yes. Um, and, and, and that was the whole thing. And, and you know, I, I, so I don't know a lot about Bitcoin or Dogecoins, but I, you know, I, I, I fell into that. I, I, was, I was telling uh, my friends, yo, get out of Dogecoins, Doge to the moon. <laughs> and and I, I, I love hearing you say that because I, my fear there was I'm going to miss out. And I didn't even know anything about uh, Bitcoin or Dogecoin or any, any other alternative currency. I just had seen on Twitter I had gotten all these alerts and that was my mindset. So to, to your point, I, my motivation was I'm not going to be excluded out of this. And then ironically, it, you know, went back down and I was like, oh, shoot. Yeah, look, <laughs> right, I think yeah. it's like, listen, FOMO is a great motivator. And so if, if your FOMO is telling you, you want to learn about Bitcoin, like go learn about Bitcoin and maybe put a toe in the water. It's okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But take the right information from it is what I'm gathering. Right. Yeah. And so, and uh, yeah, and, and, and ultimately that, that's what I was learning experience with me because I, I, I did start learning more about it. Uh, but I also felt comfortable with the decision of uh, potential loss. I, knew, I remember having that discussion. I said, you know what, if I invest this amount and I lose it and I don't get it back, I'm okay with this. Uh, it, it's coming there. Uh, but I, I, I also heard stories of people investing almost their whole savings into it. And, uh, you know, it worked out for those who were early on it, but it didn't work out for a lot of those people who probably needed the savings in the next two to three months and were hoping to cash out after that SNL appearance. It was crazy. No, it's, it's, it's. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. We will never know because, you know, we have no data to support this, but you know, the people who, even if you got in early, if you have FOMO and you don't sell and you don't consolidate your gains. Oh yeah. You know, so there's a reason why we have economic bubbles. If you think about the history of the global economy, yeah, you have like all these stories of bubbles in many different ways and like everything from stocks to beanie babies, right? <laughs> and it's because people get in early, they hype something up, and then all the crowd rushes in, the herd rushes in, and then the early adopters are like, oh my God, I just made a ton of money, they get out. And then the people who showed up late tend to lose. But those who don't sell out, from the early adopters also get hurt. So, you know, the reality is when you buy an investment, it's, it's kind of funny. Like you can buy an investment at one and then it goes up to 10 and you sell it at eight and you're thinking all about the two you lost, not the seven that you gained. Yes. Yes. That's very real. 
Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> ah, yo, That's crazy, right? It's so, it's, it's mind blowing. And, and I love the way you put these things. Just wanted to stop by here before we get back to the episode. I wanted to let you all know that I do have a collective for people who are interested in developing their cultural competency skills, becoming more anti-racist. And it's a resource of things that you can do with your family, with your school, with yourself to work through your individual journey to become a better culturally competent leader. It's called UID Collective, and the link is in the show notes, but it's a mix of courses, it's a mix of resources, things you can download, and all you need to do is sign up as a member. It's a monthly membership. I'd love for you to check it out, use it with your friends, use it with your family, use it with yourself, okay? The link is in the show notes. It's called UID Collective, and it's for those of you that want to improve your cultural competency skills. Back to the episode. Those listening, I hope it's clear to you right now that FOMO didn't die uh, of COVID-19, as you like to say. Uh, it, it's actually still alive, but it, it's, it, you know, it can be good and bad, but depending on how we translate it and what we, we learn from that. I think everything is information um, these days, and it, it's, oh, it's very important for us to be very self-aware and know our instincts, because a lot of institutions, as you pointed out, prey on those instincts, hope for those instincts. They are relying on the fact that you might have a scarcity mindset. And in fact, they're hoping to profit off of that. And if you're not aware of your triggers, you're going to fall into that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Now, something else is triggering a lot of things is COVID and vaccine passports. You said you wanted to talk about this earlier. Uh, I'm noticing this is this is how I'm setting it up now. You know, uh, I believe in COVID, just full transparency, and I've gotten vaccinated, but I also have people that haven't, right? People in family, people that I love. And what I'm noticing is this. There's the vaccinated versus unvaccinated, but amongst the unvaccinated, you have people on several camps. I'm healthy. It's not going to affect me. I don't believe in COVID. Uh, It will happen too soon. Uh, Well, I'll do when I have to do it. And so, or I'm not, don't call me a, a Fox News person. And so it, it becomes this division, but even who you're dividing yourself against, they're not even all aligned on the same thing. And then I've seen families and friends lose just connection over this. I was at my, at my barbershop yesterday and he was saying that people are swiping right now and then people were talking. And then once they didn't get the right answer on vaccinated, they got ghosted. It's a real wow. thing. So what what are your thoughts on this? Because people feel like it's, you know, it's a huge deal here right now. It is a huge deal. And by the way, you're so right. I mean, I think if we look at the unvaccinated communities uh, in a place like New York City or across the country, so there's like these different constituencies, right? There, one constituency is like the fear constituency. People are afraid. And I understand distrust of institutions, especially among communities of color where in the past, like the medical establishment did them wrong. So like, totally get it. Um, Then you have people who just read something online that's crazy and they just don't have a filter to be able to understand that, which is really sad because they're being manipulated. Then you have, because I was like running to get the vaccine like day one, right? So like, I was like, are you early adopted? (laughs) I was, I know it's all I want. I thought my view is it was the biggest problem in my life was not being vaccinated and I I need to solve it. And I was right. Um, It's made a huge difference for me. Then you have the people who um, it's like their Dogecoin. It's Mm. like being unvaccinated is like as a badge of honor of like, I stand for this. I'm part of this group. I am politically in this place. And so those people 
I don't know how you convince them other than like you like literally have their whole family die. But even some of those people you hear on TV, they're like, yeah, my wife just died of COVID, but I'm still not getting the vaccine. So like, I don't think we can really save those people. Like, it's just, I just don't know what you can do in terms of incentives. You can offer them money. You can offer them facts. Like they're just not going to do it. The people who are more on the wavering or whatever, there's an opportunity to work with them. And so um, cities are starting and it started in France and Italy, but now it's happening in New York City and San Francisco and other places is the vaccine passport with the idea that you're saying to people, well, fine, you don't want to get vaccinated, don't get vaccinated. But if you want to do anything nice, you have to have a vaccine. Otherwise, you're going to miss out. And so you're using FOMO as a human motivator to get people to do something. And obviously, employers are actually doing a step beyond that and doing vaccine mandates and saying you have to do this. Right. But I think that the vaccine passport will. I mean, it's too early to know, but it's my sense that you can probably convert a lot of people, because if you are, you know, it comes up to this winter and you literally can't go anywhere because you're not vaccinated and you can't prove it, or you have to do COVID tests like every day in order to go to restaurants and go to other places. Like, I just think people will say like, I want to live a life. I want to live normal life again. And I don't think it's unfair because frankly, the science tells us that the more people that are vaccinated, the more likely there won't be new variants, the more likely we're going to move beyond this. And I, as a person who has been vaccinated and, you know, also did masks and stuff, I find it really frustrating when you know, it's sort of like if, if, if you were on the highway and 30% of the people were just like, the rules don't apply to me. I don't care. I can drive as fast as I want. Fine. If you want to do something bad for your, against yourself, like I, I don't want you to do that, but like, I can't prevent you necessarily. But if you want to do something bad that affects me, that is a problem. And so I'm very supportive of vaccine mandates. I think it's powerful. I think that FOMO uh, is a real driver of their effectiveness Because humans don't want to be excluded. It goes back to the earliest days when we were roaming around East Africa. You know, we, we were, we, we traveled in packs, right? Animals travel in packs. It's it's just a gatherer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's imprinted into our, our DNA, but nowadays it's not about like food and shelter. It's about like social inclusion. Yeah. And so I'm all for it. Yeah. You know, and, and you and I are aligned in this and I know right now we have listeners who probably or turning off right now because of what we said. And it's something to your point, being okay with that, <laughs> right? Well, Whatever side. Okay with it, but also like, if you can't listen to what we're saying, like be challenged, like be comfortable listening to somebody who doesn't agree with you. Don't just yeah. watch, you know, the media that tells you what you want. Yeah. But the irony is that that's also another thought that vaccinated people are being um, manipulated right which is the which makes it it's it's such an interesting thing because they then argue fomo on their side like you don't what are you talking about and so that that's that's the tricky part for me and i like you know for as someone who has i'm also a professor and it's mandated there so i know what it's like yeah. uh, i have family members again who aren't vaccinated and i have friends who are a lot so i basically have this conversation every day and i'm vaccinated and so Sometimes when I after war the long days, I'm like, <laughs> I've heard everything and I'm navigating anger, compassion, anger, compassion and frustration. It, I'm just thinking about the mindset of the world where I know people will no longer be best friends. I know families will be cut. I know businesses uh-huh. will be there. The NFL for, is, is an example of doing what you're saying. They're basically saying, hey, you don't have to get vaccinated. You're not going to have access to the gyms as everyone. And if enough people in your team get or, you know, uh, get COVID, 
it's a four feet, uh, it's four feet, and then you you know you get lost and all those things. And then the argument is, well, are you taking my freedom? Right? It's all this <laughs> circular conversation. And I am so curious to see what book will come out of you from this because FOMO is being argued on all sides. That's the major major point I'm basically making here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. I just think that we live in this post-facts age where everybody thinks they can invent their own reality. And also there's tremendous amount of money and energy that goes into manipulating people. Yeah. And so people read something on the internet and they believe it. In fact, you know, it's interesting how the internet has been used to create like political strife all over the world, right? And so we that's just that's just what's happening. And I'm sympathetic to people who um, are being manipulated. I think it's unfortunate, but it's like, I, I can tell you something, yeah. you know, people, you can go back to any era of history and find a group of people who say like, you know, that, that, that have bad ideas and that feel completely justified by those ideas. And we could, I don't want to get into it because we can all in our own head. I mean, I don't like the people who are always go to Hitler right away. So I'm not going to go to like, I'm not going to be like, well, even outside of Hitler, it's everywhere. I you know. think about yeah. just like in American history, the yeah. amount of bad things that happen to people based on misinformation, misperception, um, um, groups that were treated wrongly. And so all I'm saying is like, nobody has a monopoly on the truth, but like there is a moral right. And there's also data. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, well I, I, I'm, um, I'm looking forward to reading this article because I, I, I didn't know you had written one until you said it. So it, it's, uh, it's fascinating. And, <laughs> you know, I, I do believe we, we live in a, a world of nuance governed by binary systems sometimes. But I do also believe that there are just some moments you just there are black and, you know, I, I think everybody has their own version of black and white. I think it's important for us to define that. But, you know, for me as well, I'm, you know, I, when it comes down to really being safe and trying to do something to have a solution, I'm, I very much have the same opinion. Um, okay. Now, as you, you've been traveling more and more, and I know you got vaccinated, so that's made things, I imagine, a little easier and the cities open up more and businesses are really, some businesses have really converted well to remote and hybrid. Yeah. What do you see out of this, you know, out of this, I mean, 2021 and forward, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. your business, yourself, everything. I think that, okay. Wow. I mean, first of all, I think it's too early to know, Yeah. but I think here's some of the things that I think we learned in the last few years. I think we learned number one, that in person isn't necessary all the time that we can have more have flexible work, work systems, whether that means replacing travel with Zooms, whether that means only working in the office a certain number of days a week. Yes. I think we've also learned at the same time that human connection and face-to-face -face is essential. And so you can't simply get rid of it. Number three, I think we've learned that, I mean, you think about the conversations in America last year about racial equity that happened after the George Floyd killing a murder. Um, I think we've learned many of us that like we should have been, that we were like not awake and that we were woefully unaware of like right. what our society was like for lots of people. And so that's brought in like, and because of the pandemic, people were forced to sit with those events in a way that they wouldn't have been if like life had been going on as normal. So I just remember like last summer when New York City, when Black Lives Matter um, movement started, people had the time 
to part, to join the conversation in a way they would have never at any other time. So it was kind of like this crazy alignment. I mean, I, I, I see them as very tied, right? Right. Um, I also think that there's also like a big question about economic justice and equality. And like, then, you know, so like all of this stuff, like, you know, I remember 19, like hearing about 1968 when the world was so crazy, um, you know, 1968, like go research it folks. If you haven't had a chance, like it was like a global all over the world, crazy stuff was happening and um, really crazy stuff. And so I remember being like, what's it like to live at a time like that? Well, now I know because like, it feels like everything is connected, but yet everything is crazy all at the same time. And so I just think that like, I, what I hope beyond the things about workplace and all sorts of like people just sort of like recognize that there's a lot of fundamental change that needs to happen and that our system is not functioning correctly. Yeah. But I worry, unfortunately, that we just don't have a strong enough system right now to be able to put those changes into place. So I'm not a super optimistic guy right now. I hate to say. Uh, you know, I, I I call myself an angry optimist. So I, I do have some optimism, but my optimism is fueled with my anger. But I have to agree with a lot of things you're saying. And for those, uh, you know, uh, I I really want to echo looking up 1968. And I'm from Nigeria. Nigeria was in the middle of a three-year civil war. So that's just on my side of the world. I know a lot of things were happening in America. If you look at other countries, but it was a it was a sense of awakening, and there was a sense of moral. Uh, you know, uh, authority, moral justice and all these things. And I, I hope if you can take anything away from what uh, Patrick is saying is is just take that moment to really reflect on who it is you want to be and what it is you want to fight for. Because it, I think COVID was more than anything was a mirror of how systems aren't designed to protect as we thought they were. That's right? so true. I think that's exactly right. Like any kind of crisis shows you like really what your society is at its core mm. and like even just looking at other countries right like let's let's like stay away from the u.s for a second and look at like how co- it's a really interesting analogy like covid in the uk mm. you have like brexit happening covid like all the stuff that happened in there like it exposed all of the areas of weakness in society Right. And so it's happened all over the place. And then it's also in other places shown how strong they are. So, you know, um, certain countries have responded really well, like New Zealand. Zealand, Yeah. And you look at that and you're like, these people have their act together. They have really good government and they're able to respond. And like, you know, it's not perfect. Nothing's perfect, but like they they're doing pretty good. Right. And so it's just kind of interesting to think about it on a global scale and also like the inequality. You know, I was talking to um, my colleague who works with me, Usman, and he's in the Gambia. So if you're listening, Usman, what's up? And he was telling me 2 million people in the country, they got 30,000 doses through COVAX. That's it. Yeah. So like when people in the US are like, oh, I don't want my dose. I'm like, well, send it to the Gambia because I'm sure that people do want them there. Exposes privilege. You know, yes. and, and I have the same thing. My parents are Nigerian. And <laughs> to, to this point of me having family members, it is so mind blowing for them to understand the concept of there's a choice. Wait, you have an op- option of vaccine. You're not going to do it when systems in other countries are just praying to just, hey, give us. You know what? Yeah. Just give us. So like, we we'll can take AstraZeneca. Out. We're chill. Yeah, no. we'll take whatever. And, and I hope people really reflect on those privileges. 
And as they reflect reflect on privileges, I'm not, I don't want you, you to get defensive with yourself and say, I, I earned stuff. Yes, of course you did. But every one of us has some level of privilege that is paired up with power. And whenever I'm doing my workshops, especially with diversity and inclusion, if I talk about white privilege or any privilege, you know, education, all these things, I always say that means you have access and then you have an ability to help the narrative, right? Don't feel sorry for yourself. Use it to help and <laughs> democratize, right? I'm never coming at it from a shame perspective. And so I hope that we've learned more about ourselves and giving ourselves more grace, but we also just start taking more action. You know, like, hey, I'm going to be the founder that creates a company that allows, you know, people to be hybrid. Or now I can, I didn't realize I could hire people from different countries with different backgrounds and maybe not every job description needs to be here. So I'm going to use this or I'm going to create a safe system for immunocompromised people. Like there's so many options you can use with this if we start focusing on that. And hopefully that would make you more optimistic. But like you, Patrick, it's tough. I can, it's tough to find that optimism when maybe many people aren't thinking that way. (laughs) Yeah. You're right about the defensiveness thing too, which is, and I think I went through that period where like, you know, everybody assumes that they're successful because they work so hard, but that everybody else is connected. It's like, well, I worked my, my rear off, but my classmates in school, well, their parents were rich, whatever. Like there's all these narratives. It's like, it's really valuable to just think about like all of the things that you do really great, but also some of the things that you had access to yeah. that maybe others didn't like, I'm not, it doesn't negate your hard work, but like, nope. just don't be, don't, you don't feel you know defensive about it. Yeah. But it's more about like, Oh, like I had three meals a day and, you know, access to basic healthcare. Like a lot of people don't have that. So like, they just don't, exactly. they get to school in the morning and they're just like hungry. And meanwhile, you're coming in, you had like your nice breakfast. So you're just able to do better. And it doesn't negate your achievement, but it's more like, what can we do to create a better system so that like, it's not like that. Right. And I think so many people get defensive and really like it's, and I think it's one of these things that like many of us, you just kind of have to like be exposed to things to realize that that's going on because being defensive, it doesn't, I don't know, like it doesn't take anything away from you at all. It doesn't. It doesn't. And people have to be able to separate that individualism uh, from the system. So maybe someone is angry at you, but that doesn't mean what they're saying isn't necessarily true for the for for the collective group that they they're they're representing at that moment. And so you have to be willing to to use your point to miss out on maybe gaining respect from said person and understanding, Okay, I I get this. This is a simple thing. I always have the fact that I'm able bodied. It's a privilege that I've taken for granted multiple times. But once the pandemic happened, I was just thinking, whoa, (laughs) this is this. I don't even realize how important me being able to walk and use my 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 things there. I was I went to the gym the other day in my building and there was this lady younger than me. She had a mask on. And right now, you know, obviously vaccinated, you can go, you know, you can go to the gym. But as soon as I got there. Uh, and I said, hey, you know, are you using the tricep machine and all these things? She re- she balked and she she ran. It's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm immunocompromised, immunocompromised. And I said, no, I can go to the other side. It's like, no, 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 you go. But that's because before I came in there, there was no one else in the gym. Uh, that's her. This, that's a reality that she has to think about. And many of us don't even understand. You, you're like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm breathing, I'm breathing. There are many versions of that in your life. And so if you're getting defensive at that moment, think about the people that don't even have that option, right? <laughs> like, yeah, and it's not like, by the way, like I, the other thing is like the stuff we're talking about, I just want to say like, I'm not like some social justice warrior or something. Like I'm, I'm not that guy. You know, you know, those people who like everything is like, you can't every conversation like the whole time. And you're like, like, 
That's and by the way, that's fine too. Whatever. That's not who I am. But like, this is just like basic like empathy and you know for human people, which I think we can all do that. You don't have to necessarily be like an activist twenty four hours a day to just like be a little more thoughtful and nice to people. So yeah. I, I hope that you know if folks hear this and they're like, well, wow, he sounds like he's just like a uber progressive guy. Like, I don't, not really. I mean, I'm kind of a middle of the road kind of dude, but I just sort of like. But that's the beauty know. of this. That's the beauty of this. I would be, I would fit into that description. And I know you are more in the middle of the road, but this is a, but this, the idea of what you're saying is the point that you're making, right? You, you and I like might have slightly different like uh, approaches because I, I'm one of those people that, that would do that. But it's the fact that you, we can unite on this. And yeah. I don't know any other way to say that this isn't necessarily, this is not even politically motivated. No, it doesn't mean you're a liberal that you yeah. like. Yeah. It's not even that I know some people will listen and they would think that and they would have no idea that you and I have probably slightly different views in that in terms of that in approaches. But that's the point. When you're looking at it through the wrong lens and feeling like everything is politicized, you're missing out on humans. We called yeah. people that had to work during the pandemic essential workers and they're the low that most of them are the uh, they're not paid. Yeah. Outside of a lot of medical professionals or people or, or scientists or, or people like that who might get um, highly compensated, a lot of them aren't paid in a way that they can support the family. And yet we call them essential workers. Think about the irony of that. <laughs> so I, I don't know. But where can people find out more about Wait, you? Are you going to try to raise my taxes? Huh? Oh, yeah, I could I could go on and on and on. I don't know. Uh, no, <laughs> I that's know. what I mean. Like, but yeah, so like it just I like that, though. But I think it goes back to the fact that like a society is meant to have a shared set of values. Yeah. And like these should be things that we value. It's that simple. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Fine. So if people want to hear more of this and have a framework to critically think, I think that's the point we brought up here. Critical thinking. Yeah. Where can they find your books, your resources? How can they connect sure. with you? If you go to patrickmcginnis.com, P-A-T-R-I-C-K-M-C-G-I-N-N-I-S.com, you can find everything. Um, I have a podcast called FOMO Sapiens, talking about this stuff a lot. Um, and the books are The 10% Entrepreneur and Fear of Missing Out, Practical Decision-Making in a World of Overwhelming Choice. Brilliant. I'll put all those in the show notes. We'll make sure we check it out. I always love talking to you and I'm glad we had this opportunity. But before I go, I, I, ah. I always ask this question, which is my mission statement reframed as a question. How do you, Patrick, use your difference to make a difference? Oof. Oh, <laughs> man. I'm trying to think like what to, that's a hard question. Um, <laughs> I think because I invented the word FOMO, which Cause a lot of mental health problems and challenges. I'm trying to use my difference to help people to overcome that and make better decisions. I love that. I love that. Uh, always self-aware. Patrick McGinnis, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming Thanks, on. <laughs> All right. Kings, Queens, Royalty. Till next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.